Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What is going on? Coach Luca here with the Vigor Life Podcast. I am back, and today's episode which has been a long time coming. The reason I didn't do it, because I'm like, man, if, if when I do an episode on program design for training, for getting results, it's going to be a week long. So I'm going to try to cut this down from a week long to about, uh, you know, I don't know, an hour, maybe a little bit more than an hour. But I, I really do, like, this is this is the stuff that, um, you know, that I'm, I guess was the first thing that I was geeky about, you know, as I was, uh, kind of growing up before I ever knew I wanted to be a coach as I was studying training for myself um, to improve my performance, strength, build muscle, and everything else in between. And um, so we're going to touch on quite a few things. Like, So one of the things I'm not going to – this is actually going to be a, a pretty in-depth episode, guys, just so, so to let you know. And this will be beneficial both ways. So if you are quite geeky about, you know, you're not in a fitness industry and you're, you're not a coach – uh, and yet at the same time, you're interested in about how to program for yourself and to get better results and to understand this stuff a little bit more, um, then you'll love this. If you're a coach, you'll love it even more or maybe the same. I don't know. You're going to love it either way because I'm going to give you um, just X's and O's and like the science of a, bu- a bunch of this. Now, once again, program design, it, it can go a lot of different ways, uh, meaning, look, there's principles. So I'm going to talk about a bunch of principles, too. And um one of the things that I, that I uh, love is this. I think the first time I heard this quote was from Alan Cosgrove in one of his mentorships back in the day. But it's, um, it's principles are, uh, methods are many, principles are few. Methods change, principles never do. Right. And so that's why we want to touch on some principles uh, when it comes to program design. But then I'm also going to give you guys some, um, I would say, System. So we're going to go quite through quite a lot of stuff, quite a lot of stuff. But I, I want to kind of create some frames around all of this as well. Uh, you know, first of all, like I, I still continue to study this. Right. As, as you guys may know, I'm a little obsessive, um, really, really geeky on a lot of different subjects that pertain to human performance, both mental, physical, emotional and everything in between. Um, and, you know, many, many years ago, probably like <laughs> like say 20 years ago, uh, I read something and. It really hit me because I, I didn't like, you know, I didn't necessarily like school. I was the ADHD kid. I didn't like studying a lot. Some of the stuff I like studying, and like most of it, I didn't. Right. So uh, at, at times, even though I may have seemed like I was dumb, but as with anybody, it's like, look, we do the things that we're interested in. And, you know, I was really interested in, in obviously improving my basketball and, and improving my performance for basketball. And I read somewhere that, you know, one hour per day of study will put you at the top of your field within three years. Think about that. That's powerful. One hour per day of study will put you at the top of your field within three years. Within five years, you'll be a national authority. In seven years, you can be one of the best people in the world at what you do. Uh, now, I've been studying training, uh, training, nutrition, strength and performance, and, like for legitimately 20 years and, uh, you know, for a lot more than an hour a day. And, um, and I'm telling you guys, it works. Right. And I wanted to I wanted to say this and also never stop studying it. Things keep changing. There's a different way. You got to keep emptying your cup. And I'll bring this up that like, you know, the ability to learn faster than anybody else or, you know, if you're in business, like your competitors, maybe the only sustainable competitive advantage. And uh, Ari Deguse said that. And I think I said his, his name right. 
Uh, but let me repeat that. The ability to learn faster than your competitors may be only, the only sustainable competitive advantage that you have. Um, especially, you know, like, look, when hard times come, hard times are coming. They're always coming. Um, and, you know, just just think about that like that. I, I, for, I for sure know that for me, you know, that's been one of my competitive advantages is that I just have a thirst for knowledge and I'm curious and like I just can't stop learning um, ever. You know, it's like it's, it's not even a thing that I do, but it's a way that I am. And I highly encourage you that that, you know, curiosity and growth and, and learning is one of your core values because it'll, it'll be a game changer. So, um, you know, and, and you guys have probably heard my story when it comes to fitness. I'm going to like like speed it up like uh, as if Dave Chappelle is, you know, pressing the wrap it up button on me. Um, and, but, you know, I, I started for me, it was like I I my background was athlete, being an athlete, right, from a young age, already, always playing a ton of sport, um, being a basketball field. At 14, I started training, like lifting weights. I was training before that, but I was lifting weights at the age of 14 because my mom opened up a gym. I was her second, was her second, um, she worked at the bank half the day. The other half the day, she'd split it with her friend who opened, she opened the gym with. And I'd start showing up there and getting mentored by some pretty amazing people um, on how to lift weights and, and strength training and things like that. And uh, got stronger, was able to jump higher. I was like, oh, shit, this works. You know, so I started hanging out there more. I kind of got addicted to it. Um, and so that kind of spurred the first part of the strength training. But everything, you know, then I started studying it. I mean, you know, I started training under a track and field coach, Sergeant Georgievich, who was a legend, uh, where I'm from, trained Marilyn Adi, trained Brigitte Bukovic, Olympic gold and silver medalist. Uh, had the for didn't even know how fortunate I was back then, but but you know what? But I was disciplined enough to get my ass up and train in the morning before school, uh, if I went to school, because it was a lot more important to train than go to school, and I, I was doing dumb shit out in the streets. So, we, but the thing is, is like that's what led me to you know a lot of different, I would say, uh, you know, that's I, I why I started reading stuff like the Speed Trap. I started treating stuff, uh, reading stuff from Zatsyorsky and Verkhoshansky and Mel Sif and Tudor Bompa, like the legends of. Uh, like I said, of of strength training. And, you know, that's why I started reading Elite FTS articles and, and T-Nation articles um, and, you know, just buying everything I possibly could. And w once again, this was all still in the name of improving performance for basketball. And from there, you know, I went to college. And I ended up playing four years of ball there. I'm not going to, you guys probably heard the story, so I'm not going to give you the whole sh showdown on that. Ended up um, you know, getting a lot of, uh, I would say, going into exercise science and kinesiology as a minor just to just to, like I said, uh, uh, to, to learn a lot on those, uh, in those areas and ended up playing pro ball after school. Uh, I'm sorry, after college, continuing to be like really, really kind of into, I would say, um, strength training, studying it. Like, you know, in college, even like all my teammates would ask me about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, things like that. Um, started training, uh, athletes while I was pro writing programs for my team, um, started training people outside, took on a bunch of soccer players for my brother's team, uh, started writing some articles for um, this soccer magazine that blew up, started actually pretty much coaching a lot while I was still playing pro ball. Uh, and that's when, you know, I decided we should go into opening our first gym in Slovenia, which was just a small room uh, based a, a lot around kettlebells as we were, one, we were the first people in that area to have the RKC. We were mentored under Pavel um, and, uh, you could say the rest is history, but, uh, you know, 13 plus years having a gym in Slovenia, um, 11 going on into 11, so on, going 11th year here in Seattle, um, uh, 
a, a lot of I, you know unlimited training hours, unlimited studying of this stuff. So you know, I, I, once again, I'm, I'm keeping this a little bit shorter because that's not what the podcast is on. But uh, I did want to bring that up because uh, I've trained uh, thousands and thousands of people, like really, you know, not not one of those like I've trained thousands of no, like really. Um, just at Vigor here in, in the U.S., we've we've trained over three thousand, um, and that doesn't count, you know, the, the high schools, the speed camps, the you know everything in between, um, and it doesn't count the thousands and thousands that we've trained at our gym in Slovenia. Uh, I mean, so it, you know, and everything from NBA players, NFL players, Euroleague soccer players, uh, but then mostly, like I said, you know, amazing human beings that just want to lose, you know, lose fat, feel better build muscle, um, get out of pain, uh, and, you know, create sustainable transformation. So with that said, right, let's, let's go into kind of like the, the nuts and bolts of stuff. And like I said, Hey, like, I'm not going to skimp on this, right? I'm not going to skimp on this. And I know sometimes people want to hear episodes that are just like, Hey, just, you know, tell me the real simple short tip version. Like, listen, this is, I like to do almost, I would say kind of like workshops, right? I'm, I like to do educational pieces on it so uh if you want to get some real quick advice that's just like whatever this is not it right we're diving deep baby we're diving deep you can even probably hear some weights clanging and banging in the background because we're at the gym and i felt like you know it's like hey listen we're gonna do this while people are training in the back so you get that real feeling so here's the thing uh when you're before you even start like before i start going into like hey reps and this and that like we gotta even cover kind of like some of the rules you know when you design a program like what is it you know um what is it that you got to think of it as like a gps okay you got to think of it as a map like what are the the rules of this road of the program design like number one like what is your destination you got to figure out what your goal is and get clear about this and if you're like i said if you're a coach like you might be going like well people are just you know here to uh to do xyz and get in better shape now you got to get clear with them you got to get clear with them because that's the way that you're going to build this stuff out Right. Because all maps have a starting point. Right. So you have first you got to find their goal. What's that point A on the GPS? OK. And get as clear and specific about it as possible. Like how they look, how they feel, how they perform. Um, and like they, if they don't know, that's what you help them do is determine that. Because once again, all maps have a starting point. And the starting point is where the screening, the assessment happens, uh, the strategy sessions happen. And I mean and I mean for everything. And, and while, like I said, I'm not going to touch on. The nutrition as much just because we're going into program design, but that's where we do everything. Meaning, hey, you see how they move. What is the, what is what are they their joint issues like? Uh, you know, do they have certain restrictions? Uh, what's their past training history? Their, their health history? What are they doing now? What's their lifestyle like? Right? Because that that's gonna like man, if they're sleeping three hours a night, uh, you know, eat, not not eating great, and you know they want to achieve X Y Z, like you're not gonna pummel them into the ground with training. So. That's, you know, number one is what we said. We, you know, you got to know your destination, your goal. Number two is all maps have a starting point. So we got to find out where they are on that point A. Like, what's their point A on the GPS? Number three is then drawing the map. Those are the things like templates and periodization, right? Like how, remember, periodization, all that means is how you organize training over a period of time. That's it. You know, it, it can sound like a fancy word. I used to use it a lot to try to sound smart. But really all it means is just like how are you going to organize your training to get to the goal? Number four is take the direct route rather than the scenic route. So that's the big rocks theory. Like, hey, listen, if I could, you know, I always think about this because we build a lot of programs sometimes like that's like the ideal part of it. Like, how do we ideally build this program? But then it's it's like, hey, what are the big rocks here? Okay, meaning 
if they just did the big rocks, like they get a lot out of it. Okay. And you want to do that. You want to make sure that you get the, the, the big rocks out of the way because that's what's going to take them to the goal. Number five is you got to trust the map. You got to stick to the plan, right? It's really easy to, I mean, this is pro- probably one of the bigger issues I would say of um, people in general, even coaches program hopping, right? Not sticking to a plan, like getting, uh, you know, kind of getting anxious uh, before you're actually sticking to something for long enough and then jumping ship. And then, and then you keep jumping ship and you never can really have that adaptation and you really have nothing to, to stick to that's structured. Uh, and so then you have unpredictable results, right? And you don't like that. We don't like that. We like predictability in, in our results for sure, right? Number six part of the rules of the road is don't go into cruise control, right? Those are programming variables. So while you want to stick to the plan, you also want to be careful that you don't just go to cruise control and, you know, don't shift the variables so that the person is adapting. Uh, obviously, progressive overload in some way or another. Like, we're going to talk about, like, the different ways that you can obviously overload because it's not it's not just, like, adding more weight to the bar. Um, it's not just adding more reps either, right? There's other variables there. There's other variables there. And we're going to talk about those. So it, while you want to stick to the plan, you don't want to go into cruise control and just forget about, like, and keep shit the same so it's not changing enough to where the people are changing, right? You want to stand between the lines and have your checks and balances. Um, like, look, life is is wacky, you know, and guess what? It's not everything is going to go according to plan, but you got to have your checks and balances, though, right? Like, I always, I always like to call it like the basketball court. Like, you can dribble a lot of places, you just can't go out of bounds, right? So we got to we got to keep those lines in there and we have the check the checks and balances of the things that we need to get done to get the person um, results. You know, using so if you are a coach, right, if you're a coach, this is more for if you're a coach. Actually, you know what, if, even if you're not a coach, right, um, using the carpool lane, like meaning like, you know what, like you want to speed things up, use semi-private and group training. And the reason I say that, like I say, why is it important for both? Because if you're in a fitness industry, you know. You can get people, first of all, as a business model, semi-private and group training is smart. Um, but what it also does is that, like, you're able to coach people. First of all, I mean, it's it's profitable, but it makes it more affordable for the client. So that client can actually train with you more often than if they were doing one-on-one, which means they're going to get better results, right? So so that's the carpool lane, in my, you know, in my opinion. And, and um, if you are a person listening to this, I think it's very beneficial first of all like you know if you if you want results great and you want to learn more about program design awesome but man if you want to like it's kind of one of those i i equate it the same thing as if you're going to you know go to court like you could learn some of this stuff by yourself but you you probably want to get a great lawyer so that you win same thing here if you want to win get a great coach find a great gym you know and and work with them and and cut cut like cut through the bullshit right um Number nine on these rules of the road is pay attention to the gauges, meaning recovery. Man, like even though that's number nine, like I'll tell you that right now, your recovery is so important. And most of the time we see people like under recover, not necessarily over trained, but under recover. And so that's one variable that we really look into a lot. And remember, recovery, it falls in line also into, uh, you know, how you build the programs. Like a lot of people actually do too much. Right, do too much. That was me for a long time as well. So, throwing myself under the bus, even though I knew a lot of the, the I would say the, the science behind it, I was my worst enemy. Uh, number ten is keep your maps. Mean record keeping. Like you gotta track stuff. Look, you just have to. Period. You know what I mean? Like 
Um, and there's just no way around it. And while like you don't want to be obsessive about this stuff, but like if you're trying to achieve a result, like you gotta you gotta track stuff because otherwise you don't know if it's working or not. Right. So at the end of the day, it's like, hey man, where do you want to go? And then where are you right now? It's like I do, I do also, uh, you know, I do equate it to like a GPS system. You know, if you don't have a point A, uh, well, the GPS system won't work. But same thing, if you don't have a point B, it won't work either. And with program design, the other thing that happens is like, how long do we have to get there? Right. Uh, now you might be like, well, you know, person wants to do X, Y, Z, and maybe it's a really long term goal. It doesn't matter. Right. Because you want to figure out how long the, the overall program training cycle is, because time is a key factor in program design. And it's just often overlooked. I mean, we try to reverse engineer stuff. Right. Like you want to work backwards from the goal. Um, I mean, it started for me as an athlete, like going like, OK, if I have, you know, the end of off season uh, or, or should I say preseason here, how am I going to work backwards? Right. What are the things that I want to develop? And then you start piecing it together. All right, but how long do you have to achieve the goal? Now, for people that are going to be training ongoing, it doesn't matter. You still want to like have this goal that you're shooting for, and then once you reach that goal, uh, you know, I would say reach it if you you know crush it and overshoot it, you know, in a good way. If you get close, it doesn't matter. Like you get to there, and then you course correct, right? So, uh, regardless of the client, like you got to think in terms of the entire training cycle. Because if you don't like, and this is from Alice in Wonderland, you guys will probably remember this, hopefully, right? Hopefully. If you don't know where you want to go, where you are, and how long you've got, then it really doesn't matter what you do. So remember in the cat in the tree, when, you know, cat in the tree says, where are you going? I don't know where you're going. You know, what's the right direction? Where are you going? I don't know. What well, doesn't matter. Every direction is the right direction, right? So, so if you don't know where you want to go, where you are, and how long you've got, then it really doesn't matter what you do, right? So... We, we have to kind of figure stuff out in, um, you know, I, I think just good timelines for people that are starting. If somebody's coming, I don't know, if you're right now about to go on a journey to, you know, lose body fat, build muscle, uh, improve some type of performance, I think. And you don't if you're not an athlete, you know, so meaning that you don't have like the specific deadline out. But like, hey, give yourself a 12 weeks, you know, at least at first to, to achieve a certain goal. So. You know, if, if, for instance, if we had 12 weeks, we break it down to three stages. We, we break each stage down into a four-week phase, which is periodized progressively, meaning just organized over time progressively, and divided into training weeks. And then each training week is divided into training days and sessions, right? Only once we do that do we program the exercises in, all right? And even though I said that we do it in four-week phases, that's not like set in stone. It's like three to six-week phases, Okay, but for the purpose of, that's why I said, like, with program design, there's a lot of variables. And, um, you know, it, if I say something is set in stone, then somebody's going to be like, but, you know, and of course, look, nothing is nothing completely set in stone. That's why we talk, we, we, we're going to talk about principles. But, like, usually, you know, because I wanted to give you guys a system, and, like, a good system, like I said, is, is you know, usually four weeks. And what, what are the things that we do with beginners that's a really simple way to do things is, you know, when you start a new program, like you'll have a, a intro week, a base week, like a base phase week. Then you'll have week three, which will be overload week. And then week four will be shock week. And then you go into the new phase and you got an intro week again, which basically becomes um, your deload. I mean, a deload, like you're just lower intensity, right? So your body can recoup. So I'll give you an example. So if week one might be starting a new program and you'd only do, you know, one to two sets maybe three, most of the time, like two, 
lighter weight, learn a new exercise. doesn't mean you're not challenging the system, but it just means you're going with a lighter weight. You know, one of the things that's actually really interesting that a, a, a pure beginner can have adaptations with as little as 50% of their one rep max, right? Most people wouldn't actually think that. They think like, oh, man, I got to get at least, you know, 70% to have some adaptation. But you don't. Like if you're a pure beginner, 50% of your one rep max weight is enough to create adaptations in strength and muscle, right? Hypertrophy. So, you know, week one is that intro week. Doing about two sets, lighter weight, like really, like really focusing on exercises, making it crisp, clean, perfect, you know, as close to perfection as you can. Then the second week, once you're familiar with it, you bump it up to, you know, two to three sets, usually three sets. You increase load about 10% on two to three of the exercises. And once again, none of this is set in stone, guys. Like, but this is a good framework, like. So this is a good framework if you're listening to me and you're, you're, you know, you're working on building yourself a program. Or like I said, if you're a coach, this is a great system. So your third week on a program, you know, you'd increase loads, you you'd boost the intensity, you'd bump the weight weight up again on, you know, two to three of the exercises. Uh, not all of them, right? Not all of them. Like if you're doing, you know, for instance, four or five exercises, six exercises in a in a in a training session you wouldn't necessarily just bump the weight up on all of them and just you know crank the intensity on everything. And then your fourth week is your, your, your shock week, right? So that's your personal record week. It's time to get everything out of, of the workout. Go for the max, like push it, you know what I mean? Get pushed the body and, and get it to change, right? So this is, you might, you know, you might have a client miss a rep here. You might miss a rep here. Um, but that this is the only stage that this is really, should, should really be occurring, right? So uh, as as failure is not a goal okay failure is not a goal um so that's like uh kind of like the breakdown of it now one of the things that I, I wanted to touch on is like this whole assessment process which is important i don't care like look if, you know if you're assessing yourself obviously if you're coaching you're assessing a client this is very very important um you know some people use the fms some people use uh, a lot of well the thing is not there's been a lot of different systems uh i don't dislike the fms we use certain parts of it but, you know, one of the things for our team that, uh, like, we've kind of just, uh, I would say, decided on as a team is the uh, CPPS, uh, which is the Certified Physical Preparation Specialist from Smitty and DeFranco, uh, using that as our base. And so we, there's a bunch of components from the FMS in there. But really, we're talking about, like, hey, look, what, what do we want to do? We want to we figure out things like, the straight leg raise, you know, the deadlift, uh, the core push up and see how their core stability is and upper body strength is the squat. And then, you know, there's a, a, a prisoner squat, an overhead squat. Uh, we're testing the overhead flexion of the shoulder. You know, we're, we're, we're uh, testing the inline lunge where uh, we're going over even a TRX roll to see what's going on there. And uh, and then from there, we're looking at thoracic rotation. So it's like we, we use a windmill for that. We're looking at internal rotation of the hip. We're looking at external rotation of the hip. Uh, we're looking at internal external rotation of the shoulder, right? So we're we're just assessing these basic, not only like how the joints are functioning. Uh, we also use the, I would say the FRC, which is the functional range conditioning system as well. Um, and you know to see like what we'll take people through cars, which is called controlled articular rotations. We're basically just seeing how do the joints function in isolation right because if a joint doesn't work well in isolation guess what when you load it and create more uh complexity it's gonna it's not gonna be easy like it's not gonna work better it's gonna right it's gonna be it, it's just gonna add this function to that lift so 
So we use a kind of a mix of that. But like I said, our baseline is really the CPPS. And you guys can look that up. Um, and uh, what that tells us, like, look, really the assessment, you know, regardless of what you use, uh, because I've learned so many different systems. I love everything that Eric Cressy's ever put out. He has uh, these uh, courses called Functional Stability Training, which are phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, highly recommend that. Um, uh, amongst others, highly recommend CPPS, highly recommend, uh, I would say, the FRC system. Highly recommend a lot bunch of stuff, but those three is the, one, the ones that I wanted to bring up. But, you know, what do these assessments tell you? Well, it identifies risk, risk factors, right? Do they even have the body weight competency to like do stuff? You know, for instance, if you can't pass overhead flexion test, um, you know, you're probably not, not probably, you're not going to be pressing directly overhead, right? We're not going to put that in your program. That makes no sense, right? If you can't pass a straight leg raise, you know, even with uh, a, a band pull, so it gets your core engaged and, you know, you can't get to, I say that 90 degrees, then guess what? Like, you're not going to be able to deadlift off the floor. That makes no sense, right? So that what the assessment just tells us, identifying risk factors, do we have asymmetries in the body, right? It's like one hip tighter than the other, one hamstring tighter than the other. You know, do you have better thoracic rotation one way than another way, right? It also tells us, like, where to start to a degree, right? And to a degree, obviously, like, you know, you, you can't figure everything out through an assessment. That's why you're always assessing. Uh, you know, it, it, what, what it tells you is what not to do. And that might be one of the most important things, right? Hey, don't press overhead yet. Uh, you know, maybe use incline uh, presses or use, the, you know, the, the, the landmine press, which is a different angle, so on and so forth, right? It also will tell us, you know, two, uh, honestly, like three to four, maybe like we usually probably even more like five corrective exercises to fix a pattern, right? Um and we'll go with, you know, the stuff that needs the most work and is the most uh, kind of red flagish. That's going to be our highest priority. Right. Uh, so, you know, how, how to fix stuff? Well, first of all, you got to start a training program focusing on big multi joint movements. But like we actually make sure that we work on joint isolation. Right. So you, you want to have a well-balanced program. Right? So first of all, because like, we'll go into this. OK, so we want to have a program that's based on multi joint movements. But, you know, in our warm-ups and in our accessory work, like leading up to it, we're going to always address the joints and we're going to address the things that um, that need to be fixed. But here's why I say, you know, that we're going to start a training program focusing on big multi-joint movements because we can have multi-joint movements in that, pro <clears throat> in that program. Ooh, like I ate some dust particles right there. Uh, in that program, but, you know, give people what they can do. One of the biggest mistakes is like, trying to give people harder exercises than they need to have, right? We can get results with, with things. If people can do stuff, they're going to feel successful. If you give them exercises that they can't do or are very, very, very challenging to learn, they're going to get frustrated and they're not going to be able to do as well on them. So at the beginning, you want to give them multi-joint exercises that they're capable of doing, right? We want to start a well-balanced or purposely unbalanced, meaning like, you know, purposely unbalanced is like, hey, maybe we're doing more sets on one side because it's weaker. Maybe we're doing more work on one side because we're trying to level out asymmetries, right? Uh, but we're, we're starting a well-balanced program, right? Training program. And this will be corrective in nature, right? So we also want to train the core. We want to train the postural muscles, right? Every goal, regardless of the client, will kind of generate a template, right? A blueprint, like a physiological blueprint that's going to shape the program, right? And some of you might be like, well, isn't that cookie cutter? But you have to have some, like over this a period of time, 
right? Like we've kind of, uh, I hope that everybody's developed certain things that they go to because they work, right? And of course, like, look, nothing is completely the same, but we have like templates that work, right? Blueprints that work. And, you know, we want to keep the goal at the forefront of writing the program every single time. Like, as, as Dan John says, like, keep the goal, the goal, right? Make sure to keep the goal, the goal. Um, and smart goals are best. I've talked about smart goals before, specific, measurable, right? Like all, all those things that like keep it very, very clear. And you want to keep coming back to that, right? You want to keep coming back to that. And I question, can you have multiple goals? Yes and no, okay? Like, so of course, like, look, you can have the goal of moving better, feeling better, getting stronger, improving performance. Absolutely, you know, but can you have the, the goal of build a lot of muscle and lose a lot of fat? No, right? Like you got to go with one. Um, that has to be like, there has to be priorities, if that makes sense. A lot of times, especially beginners too, will get multiple benefits. But, you know, if the goal, like the moving better and feeling better goal, plus something else, absolutely, meaning plus something else, you know, uh, and fat loss, yes, you know, move better, feel better, you know, build muscle, yes, right? But if you're trying to like match too many goals, I want to run a marathon, and build my endurance like crazy, lose fat, and build some muscle, like, that's probably not the best idea, right? Probably not the best idea. And so keep that in the forefront, right? But what you need to know is, like, hey, listen, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that the person that I, you know, maybe there was somebody who said it before, but, like, Paul Check was the first person that I heard say that. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're always tracking, like, are we going in the right direction? Are we going in the right direction? Um, and also, also always assessing the client just because you did an assessment doesn't mean that every training session is not an assessment, right? Because that will give you red flags too. Maybe they didn't sleep a lot. Maybe they're really stressed out. Maybe they're sitting out in a car all day long and they're wound up, they're stressed out and like something's looking off, off whack and you know, we can make adjustments because of that. So you got to be assessing and you're not guessing. Um, Remember that, that, you know, in a map, you have red flags, which are injuries, and you have breaks, which are limiting factors. And you always got to look for those, and you always got to do contraindications for that. Like, you got to make sure you, you, you can work around them, and if necessary, refer out physical therapy or somewhere else. Um, and like I said, before they see you or during, right, With, depending on where they're at. Um, I don't care, like, what, depending on, like, you know, which assessment do you use? Honestly, guys, like, you know, use whatever you're comfortable with. Use whatever... You can as a team use or, uh, you know, something that just gives you the feedback that you need. And, and remember, there's formal and fo informal assessments and systems, right? But whatever you assess must have a direct impact on your programming decisions, right? Like you got to use assessment that tell you stuff that, you know, that that tells you stuff that you can then change to get this, pro this, this person the result or yourself the result, result. And like we'll talk a little bit about this. Uh, later but like you know as far as like if you know if, if you have programs and templates you want to put them in a bucket like so what you know what does a fat loss program look like uh what does a performance program look like you know have uh and, and just having a reason for everything in a program that's like that's really 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 uh important okay really important um and i'm, I'm going to cover some uh, terminology just in case you know i bring it up um so what does stage mean? A stage means a macro cycle. That's, so that's the complete training plan. So I mentioned earlier like a 12-week program. That might be the stage, right? Uh, that's the program, the outline of the sequence of the monthly training blocks. Then a phase, so remember, stage is a macro cycle. A phase is a mesocycle. So that's the three to six-week uh, monthly training blocks, right? Uh, consisting of a group of training weeks. 
So I said that usually we'll do three to six weeks. That that's kind of you know not saying that that's the only thing you could ever do, but like that it really is kind of the majority of stuff falls in there. Then your training week, your training week is a micro cycle. So that's just the sequence of training days for the week, right? And then you have obviously the training day, which is the individual day um, and the session. Okay, so like I'm I'm bringing this up because once again, like you know, I, I just wanted to to kind of build on this, right? I wanted to build on this. And maybe you're listening through this going like, uh, okay, uh, I know a lot of this stuff. But, hey, listen, like the, the thing is, if you know it, are you doing it? I always like this as a refresher. I go through a lot of this yearly uh, because it's really easy to, for us to get off track. You know, and I might have said something and we are like, oh, shit, like I'm not doing this. Good. Well, good. This should, this should um, I, I should say, spur a little bit of a, either a kick in the butt or a little bit of awareness, right? So, so remember that like we're building programs, not workouts. I still think in this industry, there is a lot of just workouts, right? Like, I mean, people will go online and just pull a workout, do the workout. And hey, listen, like that's cool here and there, right? Like it, it, it's fine. Uh, if, if that's uh, more, I said, a, um, uh, it's, it's not the norm, right? Like if it's not the norm and you do it here and there, it's cool. But like if you're training, you know, and, and how you build your programs out consists of workouts and just stuff, putting stuff together, man, that's not a good idea, right? You want to keep the big picture in mind, right? So you just like we do, and you should too design longer term programs, like eight to 12 week macro cycles, you know, and very rarely like just yearly plans, just because it's most of the time, we don't know if people are going to be with us for that long. Uh, so even if it's a bigger plan, we'll still break it down. Now, we, we have had athletes where we're like mapping out a year, year out, right? So we're keeping a bigger picture in mind, like shorter programs uh, and monthly plans consist of weekly plans that consist of separate workouts that consist of exercises in a specific sequence uh, that are performed for sets, reps at a given tempo. Right. And then we have rest periods and specific loads. So, you know, just know that like that uh, there is a structure to it and you should be structuring stuff out. And if you stick the structure, you'll get the I, I can't tell you how many people we've had to come in. Uh, that like we just create a really structured program and, you know, they stick to the T and we obviously take into account everything else, nutrition, lifestyle, everything else. Uh, and like they just get the, the greatest results they've ever gotten. Right. Um, because they've been doing random stuff a lot. But remember that also adaptation follows uh, kind of like this normal uh, distribution curve, which means that you want to have three to six exposures to the same stimulus at least. Right. So when you're thinking about variation, right, this is important. This is important, like the variation, like so the rate of the change of program, right? We, we generally need to change the training stimulus at a minimum of every six weeks, right? I think, this is, I think this is a good rule. I'm not like, you know, that doesn't mean that if you went longer that you wouldn't be fine. But like that's, this is a good rule, right? If training each movement pattern once per week, like training stuff, every, uh, switching stuff up at least every six weeks is good. Um, and at a max of every three weeks, right? Because a, a client, now here's what's, what's important. A client will adapt to the rep range the fastest and exercise selection the slowest. Let me repeat that. A client will adapt to rep range the fastest and exercise selection uh, the slowest. So a couple of, 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 you know, things to mention when it comes to periodization models. And this is like, you know, where, where you hear stuff. And all of these work. Guys, all of these work. Honestly, even if you're like an intermediate or, you know, somebody's advanced listening to this, 
Like you could go back to this and see progress. What I saw is like when I went to, you know, train, I've, I've been training, like I said, for 24 years, I've lifted weights. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever had more than two weeks off in that time frame. And when I did have the two, two weeks off, it was usually because of a serious injury, uh, sickness or something like that. Right. And once I moved to like, as I was more experienced to like these more kind of complex models and I came back to simple shit, I crushed it. Right. So here's some periodization models. We have the linear periodization. So this involves a linear progression in lowering reps and increasing load. And it represents the inverse relationship between volume and intensity. So this is really simple. So for instance, let's say weeks one through three, you know, you're doing 12 reps of the exercise at a certain weight. Weeks four to six, you now drop the reps to 10 reps and you increase the weight. Weeks seven to nine, you do eight reps and you increase the weight again. And then weeks 10 to 12, you do six reps and you increase the weight again. And you could even go down to four, for instance, right? So that, that would be a linear periodization model, okay? Then you have a nonlinear alternating periodization model, which we use a lot for our fat loss programs. Now, this involves alternating between volume and intensity phases. So give you an example. Phase one, weeks one to four, we go and do 15 reps, and our focus is volume, okay? Phase two is weeks five to eight, we do 10 reps, focuses more on intensity. Okay, then phase three is weeks nine to 12. We go 12 reps and we we're once again focusing on volume more. And then phase four is weeks 13 to 16. We do eight reps and the focus is intensity, right? So this is actually like one of our base fat loss models and works very well. So essentially what you do, you accumulate and you intensify. You accumulate and you intensify, right? So you accumulate volume, then you put up, you you uh, drop the volume somewhat and increase the intensity. Like honestly, you could progress as a beginner. Like you could progress with this for really long periods of time, right? So then you have nonlinear and, and like so. Watch, watch this. So that, for instance, phase one, okay, nonlinear alternating periodization. So let's say phase one, stage one, you're doing, uh, you're doing 15 reps. Stage two, you're doing 12 reps. Stage three, you're doing 10 reps. Then phase two, you're going 10, 8, 6. Phase three, you're going 12, 10, 12. And phase four, you're going 8, 6, 8. Uh, you know, I, sometimes with, with periodization stuff, I hate talking it out because if I showed it to you, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd definitely see it, right? But the, the point of this is that, like, you're, you're changing your rep schemes, right? When you look at stage one, it's 15, 10, 12, 8. Then in stage 2, it's 12, 8, 10, 6. Then in stage 3, it's 10, 6, 12, 8. Notice how it's always alternating. Because remember, like, just remember what I said is that we, like, we adapt to the reps the fastest. Right? We adapt to the reps the fastest. So this, the nonlinear alternating periodization is a great way. And, look, and you can Google this stuff, guys, too. Like, you know, that's the other thing that I'll say is like, as I'm bringing stuff up, if you're more interested in it, hey, Google nonlinear alternating periodization. You know, it's, I'm sure there's articles written on it and like give you some examples and stuff like that. Uh, but like, once again, I'm, I'm letting you know that like that is a great model for uh, body transformation that we use quite a lot of. Okay. 
The next periodization model is daily undulating periodization. So what this does, it involves alternating between volume and intensity, but on a workout-by-workout basis within the same training week, right? It can also be done uh, on a weekly basis as well, right? So, but let me give you uh, some examples here, okay? So let's say week one, on Monday, you do five, you know, you do five reps, which is you're, you're obviously heavy, high intensity. Then on Wednesday, you do 15 reps, which is higher volume. And then on Friday, you do 10 reps. So it's think that that goes like high, low, medium, right? So, and typically you, you do that with an A, B, uh, you know, which is basically just different exercises per day split. So the way it would look like, uh, so let me give you a two-week model of this. So Monday, you do workout A, and that would be five reps. Wednesday, you do workout B, and it'd be 15 reps. Friday, you do workout A, and it'd be 10 reps per exercise. Then in week two, Monday, you do workout B with five reps. Wednesday, you do workout A with 15 reps. And then Friday, you do workout B with 10 reps, right? So, like, you can see how you're constantly rotating. And what this, I mean, there's a number of things that, things that this does. It prevents you from, you know, getting smoked because you're changing the intensities. And it takes longer for you to adapt to the rep ranges. But here's another, uh, uh, so that's one example of how you can do it. And there's another daily undulating periodization, which would be a, uh, this would be a weekly one, basically. So month one, weeks one through four, Monday you do 15 reps, Wednesday you do 12 reps, and then Friday you do 10 reps. Then in month two, Monday you do 12 reps, Wednesday you do 10 reps, Friday you do eight reps. Month three, Monday you do 10 reps, Wednesday you do eight reps, Friday you do six reps. Right? Does that does that make sense? Right? So it, it it's it just is constantly rotating. Um and man, I might I might even put an example down in, in the notes for um for this podcast. Right? But what ends up happening is that, for instance, like if you have a uh movement pattern and your movement pattern whatever it was right like but let's take push for example right on week one your push pattern you do three sets of ten week two you do three sets of eight week three you do three sets of six you know week four you do three sets of ten week five three sets of eight week six three sets of six right you kind of you kind of see and that's the the weekly undulating periodization Okay, from, the, from there, what you do, you select the frequency of workouts per week. So now, now the thing is, if you say, well, how much should that be? Man, that it depends. How many sessions per week should you have? Right? But, but it has to be grounded in reality for you and your client, period. Like what we found is that like three to four, right? Three to four sessions if we're doing strength sessions a week. Honestly, for most people, three would be, um, is just realistic, Right, because it's got to be grounded in reality. You got to get away from like, you know, like optimal is what the person can do, right? Once again, hey, what's the optimal of sessions for a fat loss client? Well, if they can, like for for us, if they can do two to three, right, uh, preferably three, but two to three strength sessions with two to three conditioning sessions, um, that's that's great. Honestly, even what we call a two plus two model is fantastic. Like two strength, two metabolic resistance training sessions, uh, like slash conditioning sessions. 
I'm already happy with that. But like, you know, three plus two, three plus three is is would be fantastic. And we do get a lot of people that do that. And then, what, and you know, then the other one is like, well, what's optimal for other, you know, what's optimal for other, for muscle building, for sports performance? You know, what's optimal is what the person can do. Now, look, if somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to improve my muscle gains the most possible and I only want to train one day a week, like that just becomes, you know, sure, is one day a week better than nothing? Yeah. But, you know, is that going to get them to the goal? Most likely not. Right. So you want to determine the days of the week for the training session and realize that the fatigue generated by one workout may influence the training effect of the next workout. Right. Again, you got to like this reality versus optimal. Right. Reality versus optimal. Um, You know, so the perfect example would be, you know, like if you're how the clients have availability or how you have availability, like scheduling those sessions. Maybe that also determines your splits. You know, maybe, um, you know, you'll, you'll split lower and upper, right? But plan the sequence accordingly before you plan the exercise selection. Let me repeat that. Plan the sequence accordingly before you plan exercise selection, okay? So we have, you know, I'll, I'll give you guys, like I said, because I wanted to, to talk more about a little bit of like the system side of this, which means uh, give you some powerful options versus like, every option that's possible right so weekly training splits um full body day a and b right this is actually a very very like i would say good um a good format for most people especially beginners definitely uh, a lot of intermediates too and full body day a and b has all movement patterns included okay then uh like like i said that if you know if we have a person do three days a week. Uh, I'll, I'll break this down for you. It would be A, B, A, then B, A, B the next week, right? But another option that's a great option for three days a week is lower, upper, full. Uh, and like I said earlier, I said that uh, depending on how many times people can train, two days a week, three days a week, four days a week on strength. But on lower, upper, full, basically your lower body uh, b- body focus is on day, you know, a whatever that day would be your upper body focuses on day b and your full body on day c so that might be like a monday wednesday friday or monday wednesday saturday right um so then you have another option for weekly training splits is just an upper and lower which is like my favorite split now be just because it's my favorite split it doesn't mean anything right when we're talking about program design it's just like if you ask me to pick one thing like one training split for the rest of my life i'd probably pick that one upper lower which means there's a b c d and it's like uh you know upper lo- upper body uh, lower body day upper body day lower body day upper body day right um but in reality you're never really you know splitting training sessions we just split movement patterns uh and not body parts so you know for instance let's look at some uh let's look at some splits for general fat loss training general strength and endurance so if you're training twice, because like I said, like, you know, if you're training tri- twice a week, it like an example would be a full body day on Monday. So day A would be Monday. Uh, day B would be Thursday. Right. And then you go hard in the paint those days. If you had a three times a, a, a week option, we might go with Monday is full body and uh, Wednesday is full body. And then again, uh, Friday is full body, but it's like A, B, A, 
right? And the next week it would alternate, meaning then it would be B-A-B. That is a great model. Another three, three times a week option is lower, like Monday is lower body day, Wednesday is upper body day, and Friday is full body day. Okay, and that, that's so you could literally use as a template, those are your splits for fat, general fat loss training, general strength and endurance. So twice a week, it's A and B, Monday, Thursday. If you're doing three times a week, you could be A, B, A, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or and those are all full body, or you could do lower body Monday, upper body Wednesday, and full body uh, Friday. And like you could literally just use that model. Right. If you don't want to complicate it and use the systems, well, there you go. Now, if you were if you were to use a split for maximum strength, muscle building, and max power, I would do it. Um, here, here's a couple of more options for this, okay? Because then we could we could add that four time a week option. So we'd still do we still have the option of twice a week, which is Monday, you know, would be full body day A, Thursday full body day B, three times a week. Once again, have that same rotation, Monday A, Wednesday B, Friday A, and then next week it'll alternate. Three times a week option number two would be lower body Monday, upper body Wednesday, full body on Friday. And then we have those four times a week options, like I said, that are my favorite, which is lower body on uh, Monday, upper body on Wednesday, lower body again on Friday, and upper body again on Saturday. And like I said, that's just an example. You got to obviously figure this out uh, based, on, uh, based on your client because you could have another option, which is lower body Monday. This is, this is usually what I do is uh, lower body Monday, upper body Tuesday, then Thursday, lower body again, and then Friday, upper, or sometimes I'll split it to Saturday, right? But it gives you, uh, it just gives you, uh, I would say, a, a template, right? Like th that's literally like, because it, if you want to complicate it, then it starts going all over the place. But that's the, the template. I just gave you guys, you know, three options for splits for general fat loss training, general strength and endurance, and gave you guys five options for splits for max strength, hypertrophy, so muscle building and max power. Okay. Um, now from here, it's like if you're, you know, because a lot of people, this is what they're looking for, you uh you want to start also like, okay, but what about, you know, what about cardio? So if we're looking at fat loss training, uh, you know, and we want to look at a hierarchy of fat loss training, then the way we're looking at the hierarchy of fat loss training is number one, we want to look at, you know, proper nutrition. <laughs> so when, and like I said, I'm not going to touch, I'm, I'm not going to go into nutrition today, but it's proper nutrition. Then number two is C number one, once again, proper nutrition. Number three is activities that burn calories. So like after strength training, right? After strength training, uh, well, actually, this would be strength training first. So if you have only three hours a week, right? If you only have three hours a week to train, you want to use, uh, I would say, activities that burn calories, maintain or promote muscle mass, and elevate metabolism. So that would fall in line under metabolic resistance training, which is basically... You know, strength training that is oriented towards fat loss somewhat more, right? Now, if you have four to six hours a week, then you'd obviously do strength training, but you'd also do activities that burn calories and elevate metabolism. So this would be non-traditional anaerobic interval training, right? Heart rate zone training. That's what becomes most useful for burning calories and burning fat. 
only if you have six to eight hours a week would you add activities that burn calories but don't necessarily maintain muscle or elevate metabolism, aerobic training. Now, I think aerobic training comes into play as a recovery system that works really well. Um, and we don't even use it so much for like burning calories, but we use it to improve recovery, right? So that's those heart rate zones that are, you know, 65%, like under, under 150 beats a minute for most people. Um, but if I were to give you a, a template, um, for instance, if you could train five to, you know, we, we just went over the strength training part, but if, if you could go and train five to six days a week, then guess what? Besides your three full body, uh, I would say, uh, strength training sessions, you know, on Monday you do a strength training session. On Tuesday you do a regenerative session, right? Then on Thursday you do a metabolic interval session. And then on Friday you do another re regeneration or metabolic interval session based on how tired you are, if that makes sense. And then Sunday you're off, right? So this is like if somebody has five to six days a week to train, right? We're doing three strength training sessions. We're doing one to two uh, higher intensity interval sessions and one to two aerobic sessions. What I mean by that is like you're, you're, you're picking and choosing based on the, how tired that person is. Okay. From there, like what, uh, you know, put it this way, we, we're looking at movement pattern categories, which, uh, we got our squat, we got our hip hinge, we got our push and our pull and our push and our pull is vertical and horizontal. So, but we want to also look at like planes of movement and, and the pushes and pulls like we, we want to level that stuff out. Like, for instance, you know, most people uh, with good form are going to need more posterior chain work. So hamstrings, glutes, back, like the back side of the body. And they're going to need more um, pulling upper back as well because of crappy posture. Now, it means that all of that stuff needs to be very, very well coached because you could be doing, you know, putting the programs in there. You could be putting those things in the programs, but if they're coached in a crappy way and the movement patterns is sloppy, it won't matter, right? You could do a row, but the row could be, be wacky and with bad form, and it doesn't matter. And that doesn't mean you're going to build a good posture, right? But we do want to look at those planes of movement and pushes and pulls and, you know, want to look at knee, quad, and hip dominant uh, exercises. And look, the, the majority of people that are going to come our way, we're going to probably need to do a little bit more of, I say, hip, hip dominant training. And at the same time, we're going to have to look at limiting factors. So give you an example. One of our clients right now, very worn out knee cartilage. Are we going to be doing deep squats with them past parallel? No. Are we going to be doing deep lunges? No. They literally can't do them. But you know what? We can do box squats. You know, we can do, we can do a lot of hinge training. Uh, right? We can do certain step-ups that are not like super high. We can do hip thrusts. We can do, you know, glute bridges. We can do a lot of hamstring work. Tons of stuff that we can do, right? But we want to look at the limiting factors. Same thing. Somebody can't go overhead. Guess what? Right? We're going to still do pressing, but we might do a core trainer press. We also want to look at unilateral versus bilateral. I think this is still one of the things that's like not programmed enough into programs, which is just a lot of uh, more unilateral work because people are just asymmetrical. There's a lot more asymmetries going on, and we want to level those out, right? We want to level those out and... Because you'll see, and that, not just lower body, it's the other thing too. I, I see a lacking of upper body unilateral work, whether that's pulling or pushing, uh, you know, whether it's pressing overhead or single arm dumbbell benches. Um, you know, the one arm rows and the, the roaming usually is in there, but you won't see as much uh, single arm pressing uh, overhead or horizontal. Same thing with vertical pulling and things like that. But like we want to we put in as much um, unilateral 
training to level things out as much as possible. So here's uh, a sample movement pattern uh, in a training program. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys uh, an example of something that we might do in a training program. So day A, so let's say we're doing this full body, um, we're doing this full body training session, A, B split that we talked about. So day A, so would be a squat pattern as a primary movement, and then we'd superset it with a pull pattern, and then we'd fill in a mobility stability drill. Like we love fillers, we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But so for instance, I'll give you a perfect example of this. This is a program that actually, I, off the top of my head, I can remember um, putting in there. So double kettlebell squat, T-bar row, and then we have a thoracic rotation with breathing drill, right? So that would be your 1A, 1B, 1C. Um, and, and like I said, this, is a, this would be a fat loss program client. Then from there, our secondary movement, so our primary would a squat, secondary movement would be a hinge pattern, 2A, a push pattern, 2B, and then again, 2C, a mobility stability drill. So here might be something like a dumbbell RDL. Our push pattern might be a push-up, some type of progressed push-up if, if it's a beginner. And then our mobility stability drill may be a glute bridge with an overhead kettlebell breathing uh, pattern, right? So we, we get overhead kettlebell that we pull back and then we do our breathing drills in that glute bridge position. So day two full body, our primary uh, hinge pa uh, uh, primary pattern would be a hinge pattern. Then it would be a push pattern. Then it would be a mobility stability drill. So this might be a kettle, uh, sorry, a trap bar deadlift. So on day two, we got trap bar deadlift. We have a core trainer press. And after the core trainer press, we have a positional breathing drill and uh, a rectus femoris stretch, right? Then our 2A is a squat pattern, uh, pull pattern, and again, a mobility stability drill. So our squat pattern might be a, for instance, uh, a static lunge. Uh, our pull paddle might be one, one arm cable row. And our mobility uh, and stability drill may be a dowel thoracic um, uh, rotation with ex exhalation, right? So you can kind of see like uh, two examples of a full body day and how that would go. Uh, if we were training a power lifter, right? Or maybe this is a, just a, a strength athlete. Somebody wants to get stronger, okay? And we did a lower, upper, lower, upper split. So this is a four day a week split, right? You might have a light squat pattern, and this might be, um, like I said, when I say light, this, this could actually be a, a speed squat also, uh, but it's not going to be loaded heavily, right? So your first exercise is going to be a light squat pattern. Our second exercise would be a heavy hinge pattern. So this might be your deadlift, your sumo deadlift, whatever else it may be. Then your, your third exercise would be a squat pattern, but it'd be a like, for instance, a split squat, Bulgarian split squat, uh, reverse lunge, and that's going to be supersetted with a core, right? Your day two would be a heavy push pattern because this is the upper body day. And it'll be superset with a mobility stability drill. So let's say that here we're working a, you know, a bench press because, like I said, they want to get the big lifts bigger. And what would be a mobility stability drill? It might be a T-spine, uh, bent T-spine breathing drill on the bench. So bench T-spine drill, right? From there, we're going to have a push pattern, a, speci a specific assistance drill to the big lift. So think about dumbbell bench press, something that's going to help and assist that specifically. Uh, then we're going to have a pull pattern as a superset. So that might be our T-bar row. 
And number three will be a secondary pull pattern. So it might be a pike pull-up or something like that. Day three is a lower body day now. So remember, the first lower body day, we had a light squat. Well, now we're going to go with a heavy squat. And then your hip hinge pattern is going to be light, right? And the thing is, that means lighter means you're not going to be going, uh, you know, three, four, five rep uh, max in that, those heavy ranges. You could make it a speed pattern here. And then you'll have a hip hinge pattern um, assistance lift. So that might be a single leg kettlebell deadlift, and that's supersetted with quorum. And then day, day, uh, day four, your upper body day, now is going to be a light push pattern with a stability drill, pull-up variation, uh, and a pull pattern, and then with a push pattern variation. So like we like supersets here, right? So it's a 2A, 2B. So this might be a single arm dumbbell bench supersetted with, for instance, a metals row. Right. And then we're going to do another pull pattern because you can see like we we're going to put in more pulling than there is pushing. So that was a powerlifting example. Like I said, I, li I like I like to show this stuff in um, like in, in, in kind of, I guess, just visual showing you you guys this. Right. Um, but from there, it's like, yo, how much time do we need to train? How much time per session? And uh, like I've seen this a lot with coaches that, you know, program the sessions and it really takes like an hour and a half to two hours to get through the session. And the question is, well, do you have an hour and a half? Do you have 60 minutes? Do you have 30 minutes? Right? You got to program based on what a person can actually do, even if that's yourself. Like if you're realistic, do you have, you know, do you have uh, an hour? Do you have, I think, you know, I think the realistic for most people is 45 to 60 minutes. I think once you punch that, it's still very feasible. Um, the question is, do you have it? You know, some people won't have 30 minutes. And then we program, uh, like I said, for, for 30 minutes. Okay. Now, from here, it's like the, the thing that I love and I've shared before and what is our system for the daily training session components. And that for us is R7, right? And that's like what Mike, Mike, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Robertson uh, created the R7 system. And it kind of creates this filter of like, what does every training session need to have in it, right? And first off, it's, Number one is the release. And so that's our soft tissue work, right? Our soft tissue work ends up being, it can be a lot of things, right? I actually love body tempering now, but it's still lacrosse balls, mobility balls, foam rollers. It's, you know, and, and soft tissue work is not what we thought it was, you know, years ago, but it does improve like the pliability of the tissues. It gets the blood flowing through them. You will like, you know, you will feel better uh, most of the time and release things. Um, even though now a lot of times when we do our release, uh, we'll just do certain resets, which I'll talk about in a, in a little bit, um, which means, uh, you know, breathing drills, for instance, right? So remember, R, R1 is release, meaning using soft tissue work to create soft tissue release, right? Number two is a reset. And resets can be like uh, two different ways. Like one is like getting the joints in the right positions, so if you're out of whack, we, you know, we, we create drills that create activation to get joints back in, uh, say back in, to being neutral, right? Because if a joint's like not in a good place, it doesn't matter what exercise you do, it's not going to come off great. You're not, not going to get the right activation of the muscles. So resets for us are, you know, we use a bunch of PRI drills for, for breathing. We do a bunch of positional breathing drills. We do things like uh, SFMA rolls and, and uh, crawls from DNS. So we usually just do about two different exercises, you know, sometimes three, but usually like just one to two uh, for a reset. Uh, 
So R1 is released. So that's our soft tissue work, our foam rollers, our body temperature, and so on. Number two is uh, that reset. Number three is readiness. So that is, you know, some people would call readiness um, a, you know, a ramp, which is like range of motion activation, movement preparation, right? I think, uh, I think Results Fitness and Alan uses, uh, calls it that. But readiness is basically dynamic warm-ups, right? We start with single joint movements and move to, to more multi-joint movements. But that's, that's your, you know, your squat to stands, your Spider-Man lunge with, with thoracic rotation. It's your, you know, your, uh, your cars for the hips. It is your, your, your frogs and uh, your glute bridges and your shin box uh, uh, moves. And like if you guys follow me on, on Instagram and, and, and on YouTube, you, you know, you see me share a lot of those different things. So that's getting the body prepared, like the joints and the body prepared for the training session. Um, you know, and as we, you know, and then we kind of, we, we ramp that up and that's where you'll go to maybe like, depending on what we're going to do in that session, like high knees and so on and so forth. Uh, and of course we do specific warmups. If you're going to squat that day, guess what? You're going to warm up with squats. You know, if you're going to hinge that day, we're going to, going to get that ready. So that's, that's our, our three is readiness. Our four is reactive. And we're going we're gonna to put some type of power elasticity training uh, in pretty much every session for people. Even if, like I said, even if it's a fat loss client, even if it's, a, if it's an elder client, um, it just isn't important. You know, maybe it'll just look different. Instead of being a box jump, it might just be like foot fire. Or it might be a med ball slam or it might be, um, you know, little hops and skips. Right. But it, we're going to put a reactive work in every training session. Number five, uh, sorry, number, um, correct. Yeah, so we had readiness, we had, uh, we had release, we had reset, we had readiness, and we had reactive. Number five is resistance, right? Resistance is our actual strength training, resistance training. You know, our primary, secondary, auxiliary mo movements, kind of just some of the stuff that I was covering with you guys uh, there for a little bit. So that's going to be our resistance, whether, you know, whatever the goal may be, whether it's strength, muscle mass, right? Like that's what's going to fit in there. Or is it metabolic resistance training more geared towards fat loss? R6 is going to be resilience. And that's really our conditioning, our energy system training. So that's going to fall under resilience. And, you know, like I said, every program is going to have that. And for the majority of people that see us, right, they, they, they don't necessarily, they can't split their day into, uh, they can't split their day into, you know, get up in the morning and do 45 minutes to 30 minutes of conditioning and then come come in later on and do strength training right it's not feasible so we're going to put that in that that r6 that resilience into uh into their program and then number seven is r7 is our recovery regeneration right and that's that's like things like they go back on you know static stretching breathing calming down like starting that recovery process because like i said um we want to make sure that we want to make sure that uh, like the recovery starts as soon as possible from from their training, right? And so if you look at um, like that R seven session for a general like for a client for us, uh, we're looking at you know about the first fifteen minutes is is the release reset and readiness. That's about fifteen minutes. Then for the next, I would say. If you know what, if they need to do core training, a lot of times, like if that's their weakness, we might do five minutes of core training on the front end. It depends. It depends. Right. Um, but we're going to do that reactivity training somewhere from 15 to 20 minutes. And then the resistance training is going to be from, you know, I would say 20 minutes to like 50 minutes, maybe 55 minutes. 
And then the energy system might be like that five minutes to 10 minutes at the end, right? So that would be a 60-minute session right there uh, of, of for an average person and like how I'd like to break stuff down, right? If that makes sense. And for instance, if you're going to look at, at this in a program, right, I'm going to just give you guys some examples, like I said, because you could really kind of go a lot of different ways here. But, um, you know, a person would come in and we're going to give them three to four different like soft tissue things to do. So I don't know if they're training the lower body, it might be release adductors, uh, quads, you know, uh, glute medias, maybe work the calves some uh, and, you know, maybe go go into into hammies or something like that. Right. Like the things that need to be addressed from there. We might go into, uh, you know, a couple of breathing resets, you know, from PRI and then do, you know, uh, a hip like a hip uh, release and then a hip activation drill. So that might be, for instance, a 90-90 uh, drill where we create tension and then we release the hips and then we might do a dead bug with a band to activate core and hips. From there, do a thoracic spine mobility drill and an ankle mobility exercise, right? So I just basically listed five to six drills that you'd do in that, you know, um, so we, we said we do four to five soft tissue release drills, then five to six of these readiness drills uh, with the reset. And from there, you'd pretty much go into, you know, your strength training and you'd have anywhere from four, you know, I'd say five to six strength training exercises and then finish off with some type of conditioning, right? So, um, you know, I, the importance of things like breathing resets, I mean, this could be like, and probably will need to be uh, a whole separate podcast around it, but um, we want to, you know, get the ribcage in a good position and, and be able to get air where it's supposed to be, right? So I've, I've talked about this, like you don't want to be, you want to be a belly breather and, and not even a belly breather, but a 360 breather rather than a chest breather. And like a lot of clients that come in, you know, at the beginning when we talk about things like breathing, like it's just, you know, huh, why, why would I need to do that? Like, well, that doesn't make sense, right? Like that's, uh, but, but the thing is, even as soon as they do it, breathing does two things, right? We're, we're getting the rib cage in a better position. We're getting core activated, pelvic floor activated, but also we're getting people to stop being uh, chest and like sympathetic breathers, meaning like high stress, high strung breathers and toning them down. And that's why it's so important and why we do it with every single person that comes in, right? So just an importance of breathing, like I say, if you got certain things, you might want to Google and like go like, oh man, I, I need to look into more of that. Um, but when it, when it comes to, you know, uh, I would say then our mobility and stability, like we still go by the joint by joint approach. We still kind of look at that. And I, I don't think it's uh, outdated. I think there's a lot of things to, to, to add to that. But the things that the primary training needs that the body needs is the ankle needs to be mobile. The knee needs to be stable. The hip needs to be mobile. The lumbar, so the low back needs to be stable, means strong core, stable lower back. T-spine, your upper back, your thoracic spine needs to be mobile. Your scapula, so your shoulder blade needs to be stable. And then your glenohumeral joint, which is kind of like your shoulder joint, needs to be mobile. Now, they, they all need mobility and stability, a certain level of it. But these are their primary needs. And what you usually see is that people get you know, stiff ankles, you know, which stresses out their knee, knees because they're... Uh, there's too much movement coming from their knee, then very tight hips, right? There's tight hips and a loose low back, so no core strength. And because their hips are tight, people's low backs get flared up. Upper backs are tight from sitting, 
you know, being on a computer all day long, it doesn't have the movement that we want it to. You know, the shoulder blades are unstable. And, you know, the shoulders tend to be stiff because you got tight chest, tight pet minor, tight shoulders, forward neck posture. So the joint-by-joint joint approach, like, we, we make sure that we do exercises and warm-ups that address these things. So ankle mobility, hip stability, uh, 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 hip mobility, knee stability, low back stability slash core strength and core stability, uh, upper back mobility, right, T-spine, scapula, making sure that the scapula is... Because remember, the, the, the health of the scapula determines the health of the shoulder and the neck and a lot of times a lot of other things. And then also the, the, the mobility slash of the glenohumeral joint slash shoulder joint, right? So those are the things that we, we work on and we want to make sure that we you know, also drill these patterns that people are going to be, um, that are going to be training then, right? Like when it comes to core, we train anti-extension, rotary stability, anti-lateral flexion, and hip flexion, right? So those are the four different things that uh, we assess for, but then those are the things that um, we're training. From there, you categorize this in a pure static stabilization, which is like think just plank, right? Straight up plank, side plank, whatever, right? Then you have dynamic stabilization where you have static hips and dynamic shoulders. So that could be like, for instance, a plank, where you move a plate underneath you or a sandbag underneath you or you do a shoulder tap, right? So that's a dynamic stabilization uh, exercise where you have static hips by dynamic shoulders. Then the other way around, you have static shoulders and dynamic hips. So that might be a you know, push-up position knee to elbow where you have fixed shoulders but your, your knee's moving or you're doing a windshield wiper or uh, something of that nature. And then you have integrated stabilization where it might be something like a dead bug where you move the hand and uh, and the leg, right? So your core is stable, but you're moving your um, and but you're moving your. Uh, oh, I see, I'm just blanking on it. it means it's been a long damn day, <laughs> but you're moving both your hands and your feet, right? So uh, another like for instance, what's another static shoulders dynamic hips exercise? Like it's a TRX prone jackknife. Um, what's a static hips dynamic shoulders exercise like a you know TRX fallout or a Swiss ball uh, fallout or a, a um, stir the pot for instance right that would be and we'll usually we'll usually put in um, two exercises like two core exercises if we're doing them standalone we'll do two core exercises if we're doing them as fillers we'll also usually do about two core exercises right um, and so for instance, an anti-extension exercise, which might be a TRX front plank, and a rotary stability, which might be a uh, a dead bug with a band or a dead bug with a with a sandbag or something like that, right? And just remember, I mentioned this earlier about like uh, adding reactivity slash power, and this is so important because this is something that Mike Boyle mentioned. But it's like there's so much research on it now that like I mean, it, we could beat it to death. But why if you're not putting exercises for power and reactivity into your training for older clients or general fat loss clients. Remember, older clients who train for power will be more independent, fall less often, and get better faster after an injury. It's, it's, it's the trifecta. So the bottom line, we need to forget all the shit about safety and start to figure out how to train all our clients for power. Very, very important. Remember, like, listen, like power doesn't need to be Olympic list for like people like that. Power can be med balls, ladders, you know, kettlebells, ultimate sandbag stuff, like, you know, 
really explosive rope stuff. And then it's plyos and Olympic lifts, right? It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be, for instance, a, a, uh, like something really complex. So for instance, for a fat loss general population client, I might plug in uh, a medicine ball chest throw, right? Or, you know, a, a certain level of high knees, right? Meaning punching the ground away explosively. And like I said, what, you know, what's going to be really explosive for one client won't be as explosive for another client. Like same thing, like uh, like slams, like Dynaball slams. You know, those are another things that are uh, can create a lot of power. So that would be for a general fat loss, you know, a general population fat loss client. Now for an you know an athlete, we might go uh, hurdle hop, you know, or with a pause or a hurdle hop into box jump, and you know their superset would be a a core exercise, right? And then the next lower body power movement might be a, like lateral hop into a a box jump or something like that, right? So we we put in two exercises, maybe even three, right? We might put two or three exercises in there and um, be, uh, rather than just the one that we're doing for, uh, for a general fat loss client, okay? So remember how we talked about like as far as movement pattern categories go, right? We have movement pattern categories. We have like in hinge, you have a parallel, a split, and a single leg. So, you know, parallel just means like a double leg. If you had a hinge, that's a deadlift. A split would be where you have a split uh, stance position, so it might be a split RDL, but one foot is on the ground. And then you have single leg, which is like a pure RDL. And same thing, same thing with the squat. Like we have parallel, which is a two-legged squat. You have a split squat where the other foot is on the ground. And then you have things like single leg, which would be uh, maybe a Bulgarian split squat or a pistol squat or a skater squat. Okay, and then you have a push pull. So the reason I say that is because, like I said, you know, you want to categorize things to make sure that people are getting the right, uh, I would say, the right amount of everything in their programs. Okay, and and here's the thing: I think it's important. Um, I think it's important that you can do. You have certain benchmarks for clients, for people to move on to the next thing, right? So, for instance. I've seen in a lot of places where, you know, pull-ups are being done and there's no prerequisite for, like, what a level of strength a person needs to have to, I'm going to just take a sip of, of this C4 real quick, mm. before they move on to the next thing. It's just random, right? So, for instance, for us, a pull pattern, you know, TRX, you should be, you should be able to do five TRX inverted rows, um, uh, should I say, with a straps vertical, right, before you move on to chin-up. So inverted rows to chin-ups, right? Like you want to have that progression, right, before. And so for females and for males, right, either way, you got to have five reps with straps vertical on that TRX inverted row before you're able to move on and do a chin-up. You know, squat, like a regular squat, you go from goblet squat to front squat. So on the front squat, like it's, or, or should I say on a goblet squat, a person should be able to do, do half of their body weight for at least 10 reps. So I don't know if there's a 220 pound person, they should be able to do 10 reps with a 110 pound uh, dumbbell slash kettlebell before we move them to that front squat, right? Hip hinge. So your kettlebell deadlift, you should be able to do the beast. So the beast is 48 kilos for 10 reps before you go to the trap bar deadlift. 
right? So you want to have some prerequisites. And, and because, you know, what, what's, it's great for clients to have a prerequisite and go, hey, listen, um, you know, here's a standard. And when you get that standard, you can move forward. It gives them something to shoot for. It creates a system. So it's, it's a great thing to do that. And like, you know what, like you can do that for everything. So your single leg hip hinge, you know, one kettlebell, single leg deadlift uh, or RDL, like you can have parameters for that, right? Like, um, and I'm not going to go over all of ours, but like I said, like, I think it's important to have that and also have strength standards. So I'm just going to give you, uh, give you guys some, like you can create your own by, own, by the way, right? And this is like your entry level strong, for instance, um, on the pull. So chin-ups, you want to do body weight times one rep for, for, uh, for women and three to five reps for guys. Like that's entry level strong, right? Entry level strong. Okay. For a TRX inverted rows, you know, feet up on 18 inches with your body weight for one to five reps for women, five to 10 reps for guys. Dumbbell row, 25% of your body weight times six to eight reps for women, 40% of your body weight times six to eight reps for men. Then your squats, like back squat, we look at one times body weight for one rep on the back squat and point eight, uh, so 87.5% of your body weight for one rep, that's for women. And then one and a half time, one and a half times body weight for one rep for guys and 1.125 your body weight. I know, I know. I'm giving you like these, these, these calculations. Um, but 1.125 body weight times one rep for, for guys for the front squat. And then your deadlift, we're looking at 1.125 body weight times one rep for women and 1.75 times one rep for men. And like, look, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's great to have standards to shoot for, right? And I think it's great like to give people standards to, to, to shoot for because if they improve their strength and performance, it's going to improve their body composition. And I'm a big fan of, like I said, having uh, you know, things to chase beyond just, like I say, weight loss, even if they are chasing weight loss. I'm not saying that we're not you know, doing that and tracking that, but it just may, makes a huge difference. And also being able to, you know, uh, still have variation. Like, you know, some people will never lift uh, the regular bar, uh, barbell deadlift off the ground. And they don't have to, right? Um, you know, we start people off with kettlebell deadlifts, right? And from there, they go to trap bar. From there, they go to, you know, elevated deadlift and or sumo. And then we progress it. But, you know, the, you should have variations. And you should be able to, uh, I would say, you should be able to, um like adjust it, but still give people standards that they can shoot for and they can, they can really work on. Okay. So from there, right, we, we got to go into, uh, um, like the energy system work, right. And remember that you don't, you know, you don't get better from training. You get better from recovering from training and that you have, uh, like that you, uh, I think Alan calls it this, right. I think I, I got a note down, but it's, um, you have gold days and you have cold days, right? Your gold days are your crush days. Your cold days are like, you're like, man, I'm not feeling that great, great, right? And so you gotta, you know, you gotta educate your, your, I would say, your clients on that recovery side of stuff, both on energy system training as well as, you know, that R7, which is the, the recovery side, right? Because remember, you can use energy system training for recovery, and you can also use energy system training for, I would say, uh for, you know, pushing high intensity and fat loss and so on and so forth. But we use a lot of energy system training for recovery. 
meaning like, you know, those lower heart rate, I mean, what would it be a level one, level two heart rate zones, you know, up to 150 beats per minute, which is super underutilized, by the way, guys. Like, that's one of the things I say is like, peak, you know, building your aerobic base is massively important, right? Massively important uh, when it comes to, when it comes to training. Um, but let's, let's move on. Cause like, I'm, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, I, I knew that this was going to be a longer podcast, but I still wanted to, to knock it out. Cause I, to give you guys as much on a program design side, I'm sure we're gonna have a part two to this. Um, but I'm, what I wanted to go is into programming variables. Cause I know that this is where people ask a lot of the questions, right? Like, so remember, these are the programming variables. We have repetitions, right? Which is your volume, your sets, which is also falls under your volume and then your loading. So how much weight you put on the bar or is on the bar that's your volume two then number four is tempo and so tempo is just like the the tempo you lift at you know your isometrics your pauses your eccentrics uh five is your rest periods and then six is your excellent uh, exercise selection um which is the most individualized um so how many reps and sets this is the single most important uh like variable i think that there is uh and reps mostly dictate the load right the overload principle and the thing is, they follow kind of like a neurometabolic continuum. I don't know if you've ever heard that, right? But like, like the one rep, you know, your one rep max, your two reps, your three reps, that's, that's neural, right? That's on the neural side, meaning you don't have a ton of time and attention, but man, it's really hard uh, on the nervous system. And the more you go past that 20 rep, you know, uh, that 20 rep range and 50% of your intensity, you know, then it becomes more metabolic, and so reps kind of influence all the other loading parameters, right? Like, so training effect equals rep range choice, meaning, you know, if you're going to train mostly in those uh, lower rep ranges, you're going to be training your strength or maybe power, right? Like if you're, like I said, if you're doing it fast. So beginners should generally emphasize sets of high repetitions most of the time, right? But, but, but how many sets? So I'm going to give you guys some general guidelines, right? For max strength, you're looking at three to six sets of about one to five reps in the 85% to 100% range. Okay, so three to, set, three to six sets, one to five reps, 85 to 100% of your one rep max. And your rest ranges are somewhere between, you know, three to five minutes there. For general strength, you're doing two to four sets of six to 10 reps. And that's around... 75 to 85 percent of your one rep max and your rest is about two to five minutes for muscle building so your hypertrophy you're doing two to four sets of six to 15 reps in the 65 to 80 percent range you're doing a little over a minute rest like 90 seconds here for maximum power it's three to six sets of one to five reps although although this could be like this could be higher this could be six to 10, but that's a whole nother conversation. Okay. Uh, you're going to usually use a range of 45 to <clears throat> 45 to 60%, um, of, of your one rep max. Now the thing is like here, I, I have a note that like, Hey, you could use as high as 90% because power is your effort, right? It's like, it, it's more about like the, how much strength you exude and how fast you try to do something. So you can still do power training with, you know, higher, higher intensities. But that's a story for another day, right? So, um, and and in max power training, you want to have three to five minute rest periods. Like I said, you want to have almost full recovery there. And then endurance metabolic quality, if you're training that, you're going to do about one to three sets with 15 or more reps. 
uh, 65% or less of your one rep max and your rest is going to be about a minute, right? So those are some good general guidelines for you to stick to as far as like, hey, what are you trying to develop, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that, like I said, throughout the training session, you're going to have, you might have some different rep ranges. So what is volume, right? And it depends on how we define it, but most of the time you're looking at volume as sets times reps times load. So it's tonnage or total volume. And it needs to meet an intensity threshold, right? Also, there's sets times reps gives you a number of lists also. So, you know, the thing is, like, what's the set volume? And once again, like, this, you know, if it's a beginner, you can get a lot of results with not a lot of volume. You can start them off with a lower volume. But um, we kind of recommend 10 to 20 hard sets per body part per week, right? And why is the range so big? Well, once again, because it depends who you're training, um, but you know, that's why with somebody that's a beginner, like 10 sets is plenty per, uh, per body part per week. And what, you know, what does hard mean? Well, hard means like, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the highest intensity it just means rate of perceived exertion, but like we're, we'll get there in, in a second. Right. And we prescribe like different tempo prescriptions, which are either slow. That's just a con controlled eccentric, right. Has a definite pause and a console, uh, controlled uh, concentric. Usually we'll use that with like rehab isolation work. It should be about five seconds per rep. Uh, then we have a moderate tempo. So that's a controlled eccentric, definite pause, and then fast as possible and concentric, right? So this is what we use more for muscle building and strength. You're probably looking at about three to four seconds per rep. Uh, then you have normal tempo, which is a controlled eccentric, no pause, fast as possible, concentric on the way up. Same thing, strength, and hypertrophy muscle building uh, focus. That's about two reps, uh, sorry, two seconds per rep. And then you have fast and explosive. So fast, eccentric, no pause, fast as possible up. So we're trying to maximize the, the stretch shortening cycle here. It's almost plyometric, right? But not necessarily plyometric, but I mean, it, it, we kind of almost want to categorize like that. And you're, you're taking about one rep, per, uh, I'm sorry, one second per rep. So those are the four different ones, slow, moderate, normal, fa fast, and explosive. And we, like we teach our clients that. Um, and so to go to get a little bit more into the rest periods here, the you know the the greater that the load is. So if we're looking at maximal effort, you know, method, the greater the load, the the greater the rest period is, right? Because we're trying to recover the nervous system, and that's where you want like three minutes to four minutes, maybe even five minutes. Um, you know, so imagine like I'm going for my trap bar, and you know I do a super heavy set of three reps man, like I'm going to need at least a three minute break before I, I do that again, you know, go up with the weight. Um, when we're doing a repeated effort method, which is your kind of rep, you know, your reps, that's the emphasis on muscle building and hormonal response. So here we kind of want incomplete recovery because it increases recruitment of more muscle fibers and increases hormonal output. So we're looking at about one to two minutes. Uh, and even, like I said, if we're doing supersets, I'll do one exercise, 30 second break, another exercise, and then a 90-second break before I repeat the superset, right? So uh, different breaks there. Dynamic effort method. So this is the recruitment of, of muscle fiber. So this is the speed. Like, for instance, it would be band-resisted um, uh, deadlifts or band-resisted squats, for instance, or just maximal speed effort on that. We get, you know, we have a 30 seconds to, um, to one minute kind of, uh, I would say, break in between those. And this leads us to, you know, exercise selection well you know the whole progression uh and regression thing and here's the thing like this might be the least important variable even though 
most people argue about this shit more than anything else. Like what exercise, like this is the best, like, right. Think about it. That what's the best exercise for, you know, fill in the blank. Like people ask that, but that this, it's like, it, it's not even as, as important. Right. I mean, yeah, do the right exercise. But like I said, look at all the stuff that we went over. And, um, I, well, here's why it's not the least important variable. Okay. Because we got to give the right exercise to the person. Meaning like, Hey, if a person doesn't have great thoracic mobility and shoulder mobility and great hip mobility, giving them a back squat is going to be a problem, okay? Um, but, you know, giving them a squat variation that's going to fit them. So from that perspective, it is important. Like, it's very, very important, right? But from the perspective of when people talk about, like, you know, which exercise should I do to give me the best results um, uh, under load, like, I think it's too much, um, too much arguing about that, right? So, uh, you know, what are our best choices? Like, there, there's, a, there, there's a number of things, right? First of all, the assessment is going to dictate, like, what a pers- what's smart for a person. Hey, is it better to do a trap bar deadlift than pull off the floor because they don't have that hip mobility, right? Also, client preferences. Like, it's very, very, you know, self-determination theory. We, we know that it's very important that we give clients stuff that they enjoy, you know, like, because they're going to keep coming back. So it's, that's very, very important. So we give people, like, choices as well. Like, hey, but would you rather do dumbbell presses or kettlebell presses, right? There's autonomy there. They get a choice in it um, when, they're, when they're choosing programs. Or, for instance, if they're like, hey, I, you know, I really like this, so we'll put it in there, right? But, you know, so the, the, some of the questions might be, where the heck do you start somebody? Well, we're going to start a person somewhere, first of all, where the exercise is easy for them to do and learn. Uh, I think this is one of the biggest mistakes uh, that people do is when somebody comes to you, like giving them what's the best exercise versus what's the best exercise for that person. Because if they feel frustrated learning it for a long time, they're not going to get, like I want them to get the, the best results the fastest possible and make them feel confident in that exercise and be able to push the exercise safely. So that where the heck do you start somebody? It maybe shouldn't be a back squat. Maybe it shouldn't even be a front squat. Maybe it should be a double kettlebell squat or a goblet squat. And that's how they're going to progress the fastest because we can still load the hell out of that and make them progress, right? So, you know, start somebody where they're at. So start somebody where they can work hard, feel confident, and they can still push and train, right? Uh, You know, question about, hey, what about variety? Hey, I think variety is important. Absolutely. You know, but like big rocks theory, keep the big rocks. Like I like to keep, you know, 25% of the, the session uh, where, where the variety switches up, but like keeping, you know, 60, 75% of the sessions where we keep exercises, not even necessarily the same, but like even a minor switch up in exercise, you know, if you move from, for instance, a, you know, a, uh, a goblet squat to a sandbag squat or to a double kettlebell squat or something like that, it's always a squat, but there's a variety there, right? So, um, but also keeping the last part of the session, uh, maybe a little bit more toward, like, f- not just fun, but, like, towards what they want. So, like, for instance, if, if a client goes, like, hey, you know what, I really want to work extra on my glutes, you know, last 20 minutes might be, you know, glute circuits, pump work, stuff like that. So keep that in mind. I think that's very, very important, like, for psychological reasons. And if the client loves it, you know, they, they'll, come, they'll come back. Um, and, you know, think about it, like, in a way of, like, what's their trainable menu, Right. Like what what is the menu that they can use for for them? Like what do they what exercises can uh, can we fit to them? Not not fit them to the exercise, but fit the exercise to them. Like what's their trainable menu? I think that's good to, to even write out. But 
And and think about this. Have they met the, you know, we talked about a little bit. I didn't go deep into it, but have they met the prerequisites and or qualifiers, both from a standpoint of mobility and stability and both from strength, right? Did you put a pull-up into somebody's program when they didn't meet the prerequisites and, you know, be able to knock out five, you know, elevated TRX uh, vertical rolls or whatever it may be, uh, like you want to make sure that they get the thing, that they qualify for it, right? Because you got to consider all these different things, guys. You got you to consider training agent experience. You have to consider their injury history, right? I mean, look, if somebody's telling me that they've hurt their back during like straight bar deadlifts off the floor a number of times, you know, I'm probably going to leave that out and switch it up and, and elevate it and do a trap bar just from the standpoint of that person's probably going to have some fear around that, which is going to make them respond and react a different way. So you want to look at injury history, um, you know, and, and, and fix stuff before you put them into an area of that they maybe shouldn't be in, right? Then risk versus reward. I'm going to use myself as an example for risk versus reward. I can do back squats, but once I start getting heavy, my, the risk to reward is just not worth it. It just is not, period, right? And um, I think that's that's very, very important as far as, you know, not only like, hey, is it a back but like, you know, I do a lot of front squats, double kettlebell squats, zercher squats, a lot of single leg stuff, sandbags, like a lot of different things. I'll even do safety uh, squat or box squats more, but not like at super heavy weights because the risk versus reward is just not there for me. And I can achieve the goals without that. Same thing for your clients. Like, hey, should they be pressing overhead? The risk or reward is too big. Go core trainer presses, you know, pike push-ups, incline bench press. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can do and work on their uh, scapular and, and uh, you know, thoracic mobility, um, scapular stability, glenohumeral mobility until they can get there, right? Also, return on investment. Like, hey, what are the things that you can do that give you the best ROI? We just talked about, like, you probably have an hour with them, you know? Um, and that's and that's it. Like, per, you know, put in the stuff that's going to get the best bang for the buck, the best return on investment, right? And uh, also, like, hey, look, if you're a coach and you have a team, like, and, and it's either your coaching or your coach's abilities, right? Only prescribe exercises that you can teach coach. And for instance, like a, a lot of our team uh, hasn't coached, uh, like a number of them have, but like a lot of them haven't coached Olympic lifts. They're not proficient. Uh, like I'm, I'm proficient at it. But I mean, first of all, like we don't even use a lot of Olympic lifts, uh, but but put it, you know, if I'm not going to give it to a coach that is not proficient at it, like they shouldn't be coaching that. So those are things that you want to you want to think about. Always, always, always think about the client's goals, always. Right. And then just the screening prerequisites, like same, once again, if you can't pass a, you know, toe touch test or a, you know, straight leg straight leg raise, should that person be deadlifting off the ground? You know, maybe not, right? Uh, and I, I'm like, the reason why we have orientations and assessments and stuff like, hey, can they do the basics savagely, savagely, savagely well? The kettlebell deadlift, the goblet squat, uh, you know, the 90-90 split squat, the single leg RDL, TRX rolls and cable rolls, uh, you know, push-ups, front planks, chops, side planks. Um, you know, I talked about establishing benchmarks and standards before, right? And so, Make sure that the client belongs in the chosen exercise and that they're properly prepared for the chosen exercise. And also remember that just because you move well doesn't mean you need an advanced exercise program. I make some of my, the best progress on, you know, um, the best progress on, on uh, some basic programs, like some really, really, really basic programs and, and, and make amazing progress. 
And just also like, hey, if people can't do certain shit, like I just said, like, you know, straight leg raises, uh, they don't, you know, they don't, they have a horrible straight leg raise, they have very little thoracic rotation, you know, what to do? Well, you know, have like kind of like this recon work and prereqs, right? So uh, they should be able to have, you know, uh, uh, for instance, you know, it might be if, if a squat pattern's off, you might do obviously hip mobility drills and then like a dead bugs with a band pull uh, to train uh, to train that, uh, I would say, um, that core stability. We're going to do hip flexor activation exercise, right? We're going to work on getting the things that aren't working to a place where they're working, right? Um, like, so, but, but make sure that like you're looking at the assessments and assessing on a daily basis to, to pick exercise selection, right? Because our goal is to train any, everything, right? Like meaning everything, all the movement patterns. But ask yourself this, hey, you know, did the assessment kind of give you a, a insight that you got to eliminate something from the program? You know, you might have to do that right now, right? Uh, you know, does, does the assessment suggest that you regress a version of this movement, right? So instead of doing a, a deadlift from the floor, you're doing an elevated trap bar deadlift, right? Does the assessment suggest that uh, it, the movement is cleared for training and overload? Great. Okay, fuck it. Let's go. Let's push it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'll just give you guys an example of the active straight leg raise. If it's not great, right? Like what would we, you know, we'd, we'd end up doing some form of, because you want to, you know, you want to train mobility, then you want to train stability, and then you want to pattern it. So example, so let's say the active straight leg raise, which is what is one of the things that we determine for, you know, whether a person can do uh, a deadlift off the floor and whatnot. Um, you know, we do soft tissue work on the quads, the hamstrings, um, you know, the adductors uh, probably in the glutes, hip, hip external rotators, uh, TFL. And then from there, we'd probably choose the band-resisted supported leg lowering, right? So that would probably be one of the things that we do uh, in the warm-ups, okay? That, or for stability, you know, we might do the sandbag leg raises. We may also do... Uh, you know, a hip flexor stretch. We might do a, I don't know, the long, if you guys, I, I'm going to say it, but like, I don't know, hopefully you can envision it, like long foam roller, single leg RDL, because it's like there's this long foam roller drill that you uh, that we help people cue and, and coach the single leg RDL, right? So we pretty much do put those drills in to work on getting their, uh, their hip, uh, I would say, uh, hamstring mobility, into a good place, right? Uh, and that's where we kind of put the fillers in, right? Mobility and stability fillers. Like, yeah, they're in warm-ups, but if someone needs a lot of work on them, that's where we pair stuff. And we create, you know, we're pairing it with exercises. We're creating additional exposures and being time efficient and productive, right? So once again, like we might put in, I don't know, we're doing a, a let's say we're squatting and we have a single, a single uh, arm cable row, right? And then for our stability, for our filler, we might put in a sideline rib pull or a, or a kneeling thoracic rotation with breathe out or something like that, right? So that's how we end up putting that in there. So I hopefully, like now, we're you know some of this stuff is is becoming uh, becoming clear, and and you're kind of seeing the uh, the um, the, the patterning of the program and like what are the things that we're looking for so 
let's let's just finish off because I, I want to go like you know prog- like there needs to be a progression plan right because we, we didn't touch on this but like to to see results we want to make sure that there is the pro- the principle of progressive overload right that's the key to success right so there has to be a sufficient stress or stimulus to promote an adaptation in your body period it must be progressive tension overload is a must but you know we need a plan right so there's there's a patterning progression which is just focusing on movement quality only then is then is progressive tension overload which is external load and then it's progressive movement training, which is just the layering of complexity and difficulty of movement. For instance, like plane of motion, load position, body position, implementing stability uh, and speed can progress load, but it's secondary. Makes if, I hope that makes sense, but it's, it's an internal load, right? So imagine that, uh, like I'll give you guys examples, right? Like uh, if, if you saw this kind of... Uh, matrix uh this is from michael dalcourt but in the the first sector you have loaded linear training so that's like things like deadlifts front squats bench press power cleans right in q2 so that's a linear loaded movement right linear loaded movement then you have in in the second box you have a multiplanar loaded movement so those are things like uh turkish get-ups alternating usb uh sandbag rotational reverse lunge Right then, you have in Q3 you have uh, unloaded linear movement. So this is running, cycling, swimming, activation exercises, sprinting, and then in Q4 you had unloaded movement training, which is like speed and agility training, movement prep, even stuff like Tai Chi and so on and so forth. Right, and so remember that there's two types of intensity. Uh, we have intensity of load, so that's expressed as a percentage of one RM, which I was talking about earlier. And that's the traditional kind of exercise physiology definition, right? 100%, that's your one rep max, 80, 85% of 1RM, you know, 65% of 1RM for, you know, 20 reps. And then you also have intensity of effort. How hard is it relatively, right? Um, and that's in, expressed in terms of RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, or how hard is it relative to the number of reps performed? So intensity of load is simple, right? Like, 100% is one rep max, you know, 95% is your two rep max, 90 is somewhere between three to four rep max, 85% is your five to six rep max, you know, there, there, and, and so on and so forth. And you can find the intensity of low charts everywhere. And then you have the rate of perceived exertion. So this is based on reps in, in, uh, in reserve, right? A 10 RPE is maximum effort. There's no reps left in a 10, no reps on reserve. 9.5 is like, could, you know, could not do another rep, but could add slightly more weight, right? Nine is like one, one rep uh, left in the tank. Like, hey, if you pushed everything you got, you could get one more rep. You know, 8.5 is one or two uh, reps left in reserve. Now, this is good because, like I said, it allows for, you know, you to tell clients how hard they need to go and, uh, you know, better for you, you know, to ask them, like, hey, where were you that on, on our RPE, right? Um, and so from here, there's like some methods and types of loading protocols and progressions. Uh, single progression, double progression, volume increases in terms of sets, progressive range of motion, regressive res- uh, assistance. So think about that, like meaning, you know, the volume increase is simple. Like you can increase sets or, you know, you can increase uh, weight with the same amount of reps, right? You increase volume, but the easy way to do it is increase sets. You know, progressive range of motion is 
like for instance, you're doing a deadlift, but then you increase the range of motion by uh, stepping up on a plate, and now you have an extra range of motion, right? Or I don't know, think of a, a, a split squat that you step on a plate, and now you have a you, you go deeper into the split squat. That's harder. And then you have progressions like just like straight up weight progressions as far as adding more weight or adding more reps and regressive assistance. You know, so single progression, for example, three sets of eight reps with 225. You know, you microload. Um, and, and this is where, you know, how much should you jump the weight? Well, you know, are five pound jumps always appropriate? It, it depends, right? It depends. Um it, because once again, like if a person is benching, you know, 500, five pounds is only 1% jump. Um, you know, five, five pounds is a 2.5% jump for a 200-pound bencher and five pounds is a 5% jump for a 100-pound bencher. You know, so just think about that. Like depending on how much weight you're, you know, you're, you're lifting um, and, and uh, you know, how strong you are, that might be a very, very big difference in progression. Me personally, like, look, if you can progress faster, cool. But like, I like, I like consistent progression, meaning like, even if you could go more, you keep progressing. But like, even if you could progress more, you stick with it because it allows you to progress for long and it's better for the, the client. Um, so, you know, is microloading a good tool? I think it's great. Like two and a half pound magnet plates um, are, are, are great because you can have these micro progressions rather than jumping up too fast and then you got to back off because you're smoked right so just make sure you use the right tool for the job don't don't use micro loading when something is easy that doesn't make sense there right uh and but use it when weights are hard right when it gets really hard that's when you use micro loading you don't use it when weights are easy um you know probably most appropriate for some upper body movements when, when you start getting to that to that end range right um you know how much should weight should you add well, generally, you want to add 2 to 5%, you know, a week. But once again, percent of what, you know, uh, this is more than a guideline than a rule. So I almost sometimes say, like, ah, forget about it. You know what I mean? Um, because once again, like, just keep in, keep in mind, right? Just keep in mind that um, you want to progress consistently. So even if you could jump ahead, I like to just progress at, at a specific rate, right? Um with double progressions, you so for example, three sets of eight to twelve reps. Use a way that allows at least eight reps, right? And then start with a buffer, and then attempt to add reps. So when possible, to each set at each new workout. So once you achieve twelve reps in each set, increase the load three to five percent and repeat. So for for example, week one you start with eight reps, week two you go to nine, week three you go to ten, week four you go to eleven or twelve, right? And then once you hit the twelve reps. Now you increase the load three to five percent, and then you go back down to eight, right? There's a lot of ways to use this method, method, but it works well with things like dumbbells and you know chin ups and things like that. Keep in mind that adding a rep means you're getting stronger relatively, right? Relatively stronger, okay? It's important. So uh, a couple examples, right? Let's say week one you're using 205 pounds, you do it for nine reps uh, for set one. You do 205 pounds uh, for nine reps on set two, and then you do 205 pounds uh, for 10 reps on set three. Well, in week two, you start at 10 reps, right? So you go 205 for 10 reps, set two is 205 for 10 reps, and then set three is 205 for 12 reps. 
So then week three, you go 205 for 10 reps, 205 for 12 reps, 205 for 12 reps. I hope this is making sense, right? Like in, in that whole big set, you're always adding more reps. So you're progressing. Okay. That should be pretty, like that's a way of progressing that like people don't talk about, but it is, right? Um, and last but not least, let's quickly mention, so volume increases. We use from week one to two, week two regularly. So progressive range of motion, regressive assistance. So here's just a couple of things that like, we use commonly in cycling. So remember I talked about intro week, base week, overload week, and then shock week. Okay, so give you an example here. Um, you know, in, in intro week, we're always keeping about three, maybe four reps in the tank. So your RPE is going to be six to seven, right? Week two, we're going to only have about two to three uh, reps left in the tank, and we're going to go RPE seven to eight, right? Then week three, we're going to add load, Higher effort for reps and goals, but we're not going to miss reps. So we're going to go RPE 8 to 9, but we're not going to miss reps. And then week 4, we're going to go as hard as we possibly can. We're chasing PRs. We might miss reps, but it's not the goal. We're going to minimize technical breakdown, but we're going to go for RPE of 9 and 10. Right? So that's another way to, to, to look at it, right? It's like pushing that RPE. Um, so so let's, let's, let's just... Let's just make sure we're on the same page with what I'm saying here. Like, so let's say, uh, I don't know, Jenny, Jenny's been with us for about a year. She's healthy, has no injuries or limitations. She's going into a strength phase, and her first exercise is a deadlift for two to three sets of six. Uh, and before, her best was 165 for eight reps. So what weight should I choose for week one on day one? Well, I will probably go and do 160 for two sets of six. And then week two, I'm going to do 165 for three sets of six. Week three, I'm going to go 170 for three sets of six. And then week four, I'm going to go 150, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 180. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go 180 with three sets of six. So that's just an example, right? Uh, so you have and other types of loading protocols that uh, I'll just mention is things like same sets across means same, same, same weight for each set. So three sets of 12. Uh, you have working up or climbing method, which means like let's say I'm doing five sets of five. Like each set I go heavier and my, my, my last set is my top set, my hardest set. Uh, five, three, one method, which I love, by the way, and other percentage-based programs. Then you have cluster sets, back off sets, reverse pyramids, wave loading, 90% sets and maximal effort work. Um, and so going back to all of this, like we want to consider training goal, training experience, length of training cycle, uh, relative newness of the exercise, type of loading protocol, you know, layoffs. If somebody has been gone for a while and, um, and they're coming back, like we don't want to just start them where they were. Like we want to make sure that, uh, that, that we're kind of easing them into it. And also like, here's some specific warm up guidelines, right? So if you're doing sets of 8 to 12, I usually like to do one or two ramp-up sets if needed uh, with about two-thirds of the, uh, of the work set weight. So if I'm using two, you know, uh, I don't know, 200-pound dumbbells for bench and I'm doing 8 to 12 reps, I'm going to do two warm-up sets and like one's going to be about 65 pounds, the next one's going to be 85 pounds, uh, and then the, ne the next one I'm going to go 100 pounds, right? If you're doing... Uh, if you're doing sets of less than eight reps then we're going to do two to three warm-up sets so for instance five reps with about 50 percent of working weight 
uh, three reps with about 75% of work in set weight, and then one or two reps with about 90% of work in set weight, and then I'm going to go into my main lifts. All right, so here's, uh, you know, I, I think that that was quite a lot, man, that I, that I covered today. Uh, kind of looking at Theo to see the time. Where, where are we at with the time right now? Damn! Two hours. See, and I could keep going. So, but we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to end it here, and we'll probably do a second episode on this um, where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still break down some structure. I'm going to st- break down some systems um, and probably kind of do a bunch of, like, maybe even either Q&A on this or, or just dig deeper. Because, like I said, this is stuff that I, that I love, and I, um, and I also can get, like, really uh, deep into um, but like hopefully, like I said, I, I shared a bunch of systems and thoughts and things that you can that are applicable and you can use. Um, like I said, I love like I said, I always love feedback. You know, um, you can see that the, the Vigor Life episodes have been very varied, but quite a few people have asked me about program design stuff. So this is some of the program design uh, and I'm, I'm definitely going to they're going to dig a little bit deeper on these things. But, you know, please, like, you know, give me the feedback on the episode. Uh, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys tuning in. I know this was a longer episode. Hopefully it delivered on the value. And, um, and like I said, I may message me, uh, whether it's DM me on IG, um, you know, send an email to Luca at hostsofourperformance.com with any questions, any stuff for the future episodes. Um, and as always, I really appreciate when you guys go to iTunes, give a review, give an honest review. Um, I love it when you guys give the five stars. Like I said, you know, the more shares the more listens that we get the easier it is for me uh to continue going with this because it does take a lot of time and uh and and like i said this is not meant to be a uh you know where we're pushing to get a ton of sponsor for the podcast this really is just an extension of us and our coaching and everything that we're doing and we just want to share it and and make everybody better in the industry and better in the world uh so i love and appreciate you guys for for tuning in for uh for being with me for two hours and, and listening to the geekiness um with that Like, I will talk to you. I will see you next time. Coach Lucas out. Peace.